Welcome to A Rock and a Hard Place, the podcast that explores why minerals matter, their importance to society, and the role they will play in the low-carbon future. I'm your host, Thomas Hale, a graduate student exploring the mineral security nexus at the University of Delaware in the Minerals, Materials, and Society program. Join me as I speak with leading experts in the field of critical minerals to discuss some of the most pressing challenges facing society and learn more about their experience working in this emerging space. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode two of my conversation with Courtney, a PhD candidate at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, Canada, studying geoscience communication. Courtney, I want to kind of continue the conversation by discussing some of the best practices and methodologies that should be implemented in geoscience communication. How do we talk about mining and critical minerals for those that may have never even thought about it before or any concerned citizens who have issues with the fact that we may have to mine more and that environmental impact that could have. And as we've talked about in episode one, how do we do this, especially at this K through 12 level where we want to put a huge impression on future leaders that are going to be really the people that are going to be living in the world in the next 50 to 60 years? Yeah, it's an extremely important question. And the way I see it, as we talked about in the last episode with the dialogue and the participatory models, this is really where I see us having more opportunities. The big thing with the dialogue model is that we want to hear the concerns of our audience, right? So as I talked about again in the last one, things like consensus conferences or town hall meetings, or even when we're with youth, giving them the opportunity to have conversations and hearing their concerns on these things. Now, I don't want to give all my kind of tips and tricks away, but in my opinion, all of this is it's based on real science communication research that has been done. But one of the best things that we can do for ourselves is show warmth. And I think that might surprise a lot of people. So when I say showing warmth, obviously, geoscience, you know, we really do care about improving society. So And I think that's an important thing to talk about, that we do care. And this especially comes through with critical minerals, obviously, and how their benefits and their impact on society. So I think realistically what this looks like, you know, we can show that we're willing to listen, that we want to give them the opportunity to have their voices and their concerns heard, and that they're actually going to have an impact on what happens. Another big one that I think is showing honesty, especially with critical minerals. I think we all know, especially depending on where the mining is happening, it's not all great news, right? And I think a lot of times we would prefer to hide the truth and or just leave that part out and focus only on the positives. But again, there's been research that has shown that that's not actually effective and that if there are bad things that's happening, it's better to talk about it. Research has shown that the benefits of being perceived as trustworthy really outweigh the risks associated with that, which I think is really interesting. And it's, you know, a really important thing that we have to think about. Another thing I think that's quite important, again, based on research is showing competence. I don't think that should be that hard for a lot of us. And no, that doesn't mean just using jargon and confusing people. It means showing your genuine passion about whatever you're talking about. And describing the experience that you've had and how those have made you capable to do what you do, 
really those are what shows your competence and it shows your passion for what you do. And then in terms of the K-12 education space, I think using the tactics that I just described are really important. It doesn't matter if it's an older audience. I think it's just as important when you're working with youth. And as I mentioned before, ensuring opportunities to hear their concerns, as you talked about in the last episode. I think sometimes we don't value what youth have to say. We think that they don't have the knowledge or the lived experience yet to be able to talk about these things, but you'd be surprised. I'm constantly astonished every time, even when I'm talking with like grade four or five students, they have a lot to say and they can inform what we do and how we approach it. So I think it's really important to let them have a space to voice their concerns as well. I really appreciate bringing in the warmth as the first one and the passion. And because I mean, honestly, I, one of the things that comes up a lot, and this is what I get a lot when I give talks or I speak to people, is a lot of people, especially if they've been mining and been in the extractive industry for a long time, they'll come in with a lot of years of maybe jaded perspectives on the other side, especially environmental communities and different things. But when I talk about minerals and I bring my passion and I have conversations, like I have many friends who are really concerned about the environmental and social issues of mining. But when you have the warmth and you have the passion and you have the honesty, like you were saying, you really have constructive conversations. When you bring the passion and the warmth and the honesty in, I'm always surprised at how when I thought it was going to be this conflict, it was always very useful, constructive, great feedback, and we all grew from it. That's something that I think not everyone does, and especially in the past, it hasn't always been the case. But I am all for what you're talking about. And I think that they're so essential to having real honest conversations about this. For sure. Yeah, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that I've heard from people that having open conversations, being genuine, that it works when you're doing this stuff. But I think the thing that I'm also trying to say is that there's real evidence that has been applied in various contexts that also backs us up. And to me, that's a really important thing that we have to consider. No, I like how you back up your arguments with the evidence and the literature. And I think that's a very strong thing, which I'll be honest, as someone working in politics, sometimes you miss doing, making sure you back up your claims with lots of scientific evidence, right? I mean, you see that a lot. So let's talk a little bit more about the communication organizations and mineral literacy organizations in Canada. You've worked for Minerals Ed, for Mining Matters. So what are these organizations? What are they doing? I mean, why do local groups like this that can get in the classroom and can be on the ground communicators matter instead of just these broad organizations at the state or national level? Yeah, basically, these organizations, they're usually not-for-profit organizations. I think it's important to talk about how they're funded, because it's definitely still a challenge. It's amazing what they do, even with the limited funds that they have. For the most part, they are industry-funded. So it's great to see that, you know, industry recognizes that this is a problem that it's eventually going to affect them as well, right? Like Australia, Canada, and the United States have all been struggling with declining enrollment in university programs. And right here, right now in Canada, there are tons of job opportunities for students and they're not being met. So, you know, industry is realizing that this is an issue and that's really important. Some are also funded by government, but I would like to see more funding there as well. But really what they're intending to do, it's to, you know, engage and educate youth about 
geoscience more broadly, as well as focusing on mineral literacy and mining as well. So really in terms of what they do, both have elements where they create some sort of avenue where geoscientists can speak with and engage with youth, whether it's through even just engaging like lecture series and from an accessibility standpoint, both of these offer virtual components as well, which has really, you know, expanded the reach of both organizations. There's also opportunities for in-person engagement with these geoscientists as well, which I think is a fantastic thing to show the real lives of these people and what it's like. There's also tons of, you know, hands-on workshops where they're looking at very broad topics all across the spectrum of the earth sciences including what we're talking about here today, critical minerals. And those are tend to be the most successful component of what they do, because as we've spoken about, teachers in a lot of cases don't know how to teach this. So having those supports, especially if you know they're just doing a lot of work based out of textbook reading, it's really nice to have these hands-on components that can supplement whatever they're learning in the classroom as well. Another big thing is the teacher professional developments. So Minerals Ed, who I'm currently interning for, they offer basically three different ones for teachers who teach different age groups. And honestly, the amount of value that these workshops have is pretty incredible. Like they get, you know, actual mineral samples that they can take back to their classroom, entire books just filled with different activities that they can do, everything is correlated to the curriculum, which is probably the number one thing that teachers need if they're getting some sort of resource. They need to figure out how it actually connects with their curriculum. So, you know, we do that all for them ahead of time and then just give it to them like that. And then we actually offer the workshops where we walk them through how to do some of these things. And there's also an education component to get them more familiar with geoscience just in general anyways. So I think that is a huge, huge thing to have as well. There's also sometimes community programs as well. So not necessarily tied to a school or anything like that, where we just have it set up for the more general public. And there's a whole other conversation that I hope to explore with my research there. But this idea of having youth come in with their families and then seeing There's basically there's some research that suggests that there's an interaction where the youth can actually teach and start a conversation around these things with their parents, kind of a a bottom up effect, which I think is a really interesting way to approach these things. Anyways, those are some of the main things that these organizations do. But really, I think they're essential partners because, you know, they already have these established relationships going like these organizations have been working here for quite some time now, and they're, they're very well respected. I wonder what was the point in which the companies realized that this is essential for us. And I know that Canada, especially when we compare it to the U.S., when it comes to mining perceptions, even though it has issues, clearly there's lots of issues still everywhere in the world around this. But Canada seems to be, you know, I don't know, is it 10, 15 years ahead of us in this mineral literacy conversation? Because I can't really think of an organization besides local community groups that have to get together to do what organizations that you're talking about are doing at much larger scales. Yeah, it's interesting talking about how, you know, every country is different and how they evolve because from what I've seen, like at least from a formal education standpoint, I would say the United States is way ahead of Canada. There's tons of papers that come out to do with pedagogy surrounding geoscience. And to me, that's a huge thing to know about. And 
there's not much of that, I would say, going on here. But in terms of, you know, these mineral literacy organizations, I know for the case, at least for Minerals Ed, it came about from a teacher's ask, really. I can't remember the year, but basically teachers were wanting more support in this. And they came to someone and it basically, there was a video from the mining company or something that represents mining companies. And there was something about that that, you know, they recognized didn't really work. So their whole motto, at least at Minerals Ed, was by teachers for teachers. So what they're founded on is this idea that teachers should be the ones who do this. So what they do is they have partner teachers who they hire on, and they're the ones who look at all the resources that we do. They make sure that everything is going to make sense and be digestible and useful for teachers. And then we always have a partner teacher who's actually presenting it when we do these workshops. Basically, you know, it gives a nonpartisan insight to what we're talking about, which I think is a really important thing because, you know, then they give a really balanced and truthful overview of what's actually happening and building the conversation around that, which I think is a really important thing to have. How do you quantify or what are the metrics by which you determine the successfulness of these programming? Because I've had companies and organizations that say to me, we want to have some data before we want to invest in some of these community engagement strategies. We put forth the literature that's out there or different things, but like, what are you receiving or what are you giving back to these companies to show that there is a, a real change in whether that's people wanting to be more positive to the industry, understanding, wanting to get more jobs in the industry? Like, what do you deem as success when doing these activities? Oh, that's, it's such a great conversation. And I think we're still figuring it out. That's one of the things that, again, my research is wanting to do. So basically, I'm trying out varied approaches to evaluating these sorts of programs. And then it also comes down to, you know, what do we want? And from my experience, what practitioners look for is increased knowledge, usually knowledge and perceptions and in or just general interest in careers or mining in general are the big things that they're looking for. You can do surveys and get people to self-evaluate. There has been some research that suggests that asking people to self-evaluate that doesn't necessarily work. But one of the things when recently I did an engagement with a community in Saskatchewan, Northern Saskatchewan, what we actually did was had the students interview each other. So basically the nature of this project was they had to bring together Indigenous knowledge and Western scientific knowledge on some geoscience topic. Really, it was just this beautiful way that they brought this together. And, you know, some people might not see that, seeing those art projects in the end as increased knowledge or increased perception. But to me, there was something much more important there. Like they created meaning in what they did there. And so it gets into this whole conversation of, how do we evaluate something like that? And it's a challenge. I don't think there is an easy answer, but I think we need to look at different ways of trying to evaluate those. So I don't have the answer, but that's something I'm hoping I can keep trying and figuring out with my research as well. I really appreciate and redefining how we see information gained and how they perceive it. And I'm just surprised at how people can do different things and learn about these some of these complex issues and then communicate them in their own way, building a connection to a field of science that 
a highly technical, take data and write things down may never be able to connect with someone at that level. For sure. Yeah. And it comes down to, do we really want everyone to be really smart at geoscience? Is that our goal? Right? Like, and I would argue that, you know, that's wonderful. I I don't think that'll happen. It's a wonderful idea. But I think, and part of my research is going to look at how do audiences engage with geoscience when we talk about it in different ways. And when you look at the informal education literature, you start getting into the different ways people engage, because that's another thing that people will try to evaluate. Was it engaging? And right when I heard that, I'm like, well, what does that mean exactly? And basically, there's like three main ways that you can engage with something. You can cognitively engage with something. And that's kind of more what we're talking about, like to do with knowledge and remembering facts around something. But then there's also emotional engagement. So that's really, it's creating emotions around whatever you're learning. Then there's also social engagement. So that's the conversations that come up around what we're learning. And I think those two things, figuring out how to evaluate those dimensions is going to be a lot more important, especially in the critical minerals and mining side of things or just geoscience in in general. So final question, and I ask this of all my guests, I have no doubt that you probably think about this a lot, but in just a few sentences, or let's just say, for instance, there's someone that walks up to you or in the engagements that you do, and they're not quite sure about what minerals are or why mining's important. So to you, and when you're talking to them, why do minerals matter? Yeah, I mean, I've listened to your podcast and most people have the same answer. And really, I'm just going to be echoing that. But they matter because they're the building blocks to our everyday lives. You know, I always like when people say that try and sit in a classroom and pretend mining doesn't exist. Where are you going to be? You basically have to go end up sitting outside because the building you're in was constructed from minerals. And I think that's important to always think about, but it's still important to also have these balanced conversations, you know, on how do we do this sustainably at the same time? All right. Well, thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on the podcast and having this really exciting conversation about geoscience communication. I know for me, it hits home because at my heart, I am that geology person and geoscientist. I just, it's very something I'm very passionate about. And I believe the work that you're doing in this space is honestly fundamental to what we as a country or as a global community are going to have to reconcile with around the need to want to have these shared energy futures, but also understand that there's going to be a material need and to be understanding of that and know where these things come from. It's just going to be more and more important. So I look forward to having you on the podcast again. I think there's plenty of things that we could talk about in depth about communication, where we go next, how we measure things. And so let's keep the conversation going offline. And until next time, I'm your host, Thomas Hale. Thanks for joining us on another insightful discussion of a rock and a hard place. Keep on rocking. Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Rock and a Hard Place. Be sure to follow me on LinkedIn and check out our website, Mineral Choices, for more content. If you would like to be a guest on our podcast or contribute to our website, then please reach out. We love hearing from you, so do get in touch. And until next time, keep on rocking.